down pose. This takes a minute. Yep. Hello, everybody. Welcome. It's Mary Lynn Harris here with uh, Hard at Work, and uh, I'm recording live onto YouTube, of course. And uh, my guest today is Belle Walker. Welcome, Belle. Hi, thank you. I'm excited to be here with you today. Yeah, okay, cool. So um, my podcast is really about how, how, do we, how are you creating an impactful legacy? And uh, so Belle answered the call. So here she is. So, Belle, why don't you introduce yourself, um, you know, kind of what you do and, yeah, just say, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. I'm the, the founder and lead consultant for Bellevue Consulting. Uh, my purpose in life is to take organizations from friction to function because <laughs> I believe that that, well, I believe that most people truly want to be impactful in their work. Right. And I've noticed that the systems and structures in an organization can lift people up and can provide a block that stop them from getting where they need to go. And so I like to focus on the elements of a company, the org structures, the communication frameworks, the, um, the way they approach information sharing, all of those uh, pieces to make them work for the team to achieve those goals rather than being something the team has to fight every inch of the way. Right, right. I imagine though, when you're working with a group of people, you have a lot of miscommunications and misunderstandings and like you say, struggle, just trying to reach that agreement or just to reach under uh, an understanding or respectful understanding of where each person is at. Yeah, and, and one thing I, I probably should distinguish, I'm not a communications coach. I'm right. not someone who specializes in what I think of as the hearts and minds, yeah. um, which is where a lot of miscommunications come into play. Right. But a surprising number of miscommunications do come from these structural perspectives. Mm -hmm. um, I've seen uh, team structures designed in such a way so that uh, two, there are two different teams or two different team members where it's impossible the way their goals have been defined for them both to be successful. Mm -hmm. It's been structured so that one can succeed at the expense of the other. And that's not fair for anybody, right? It doesn't matter at that point how respectful and kind you are. You are uh, inevitably positioned to be against uh, your colleagues, which is a very uncomfortable position mm -hmm. to be in. So that's the kind of thing I like to look at. Or uh, a great example I've run into I don't know if you've, you've seen this, we were talking before we started about yeah. engineers. Yeah. Uh, and one thing I often hear is engineers and product managers. I'm going to stereotype for a moment. Uh, yeah. Engineering teams will say things like, those product managers are so extroverted and they're always talking at us. And the product managers say, those introverted engineers, they never want to tell us anything. <laughs> well, often it has nothing to do with introversion or extroversion. Right. It's that the engineering team has established a pull communication norm. They expect that if you need information, it's on you to go find it. Mm -hmm. Whereas the product managers have a push information norm. If you have information, it's on you to share it. Right. And when those cultures collide, uh, collide 
you end up with people pushing information and then feeling sad that the people that they're working with won't push information back. Right. And conversely, you have people who are saying, why are you telling me all these things? I will tell you when I need something. <laughs> Hold tight and ask me when you're ready. And if you can identify that norm, you can start to close some of those communication barriers at a, at a purely structural level. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've heard that engineers are like, uh, leading cats, but you can't lead a cat. <laughs> yeah, although my yeah. experience has been that yeah. most people yeah. are, are like that, right? It, trying to force pretty much anyone down a very restrictive path, you know, that's why there's an entire movement against command and control as a, a leadership style or right. leadership in air quotes there because command and control is not exactly leading. <laughs> yeah, so some of the structure, do you find structure is flat? more better works better flat or more with the the higher of the the leader or the team leader yeah um i find a variety mm -hmm. right and and so this is where i pull on that engineering background um, yeah. where i i think there's a lot of principles around uh that you use in sort of traditional engineering that apply when you're designing these structures uh, some of which are making sure you actually know what problems you're trying to solve uh, right, up front, right. um, but understanding your your resources and your constraints and people are your resources and they are also often your constraints. Right, right. So scientific management was this nonsense theory that people are interchangeable cogs in a machine, mm -hmm. but cogs are not interchangeable cogs in a machine. You can't take a watch and swap two cogs around and expect it to keep working mm -hmm. the way it's supposed to. Um, and so the same thing with, with people, you have to understand what are the specific characteristics and needs of the people who make up the organization and what are the role expectations you want to have at each level. Right. So for example, I've seen some teams where it's very important to them or organizations, it's important to them that the managers still be uh, also doing some work as individual contributors. Right. It's important to their culture that the managers be player coaches, not just coaches. And in that scenario, you are going to need to have a deeper organization because flat means that each manager, each leader has a larger team. That's how you keep it flat. Right. But if you try to add a lot of team members and individual contribution, you're going to completely overload and collapse your system. Right. And so it's, I try not to come in with any preconceived notions of what structure will be best for a particular organization. Mm -hmm. It's really about understanding their culture and their strategy and the people they have involved and then optimizing for that particular situation. Yeah. Yeah. So can you maybe just give us an example of organizations you've worked with that been quite successful, maybe a story or two? Yeah, um, well, I'm, I'm working with an organization right now where we're, uh, we're on our <laughs> quick path to success that's been, uh, I think, really interesting where they, they do outsourced professional services right. for their clients. And so uh, we had to consider two main factors in how to structure their team. Mm -hmm. uh, they have people with different skill sets who perform different functions. Yeah. And they have different clients who need support from several of those people. Right. 
and you have that kind of inherently matrixed organization. So you have to decide what is your organizing principle. Mm-hmm. Do you form client teams that are a group of people with different skill sets who come together to serve a particular client, you know, set of client needs? Mm-hmm. Or do you collect people by their skill set, their function, and allow them to, you know, mentor each other, train together uh, so that they can and, and have that sort of primary mental affiliation be with their direct colleagues? Right. Um, now, either way, you also have to have the other, right? It's yeah. not an either or, it's, it's which one is your, your vertical structure and which one becomes a horizontal function. Right. Um, and so we ended up deciding in their case that uh, if grouping people by their skill set and having that fundamental allegiance and support network be around uh, people doing similar work was the right way to organize because they will be grouped together for clients. Right. That will happen whether we make it an org structure or not. Right. But by using that organizational framework to collect people together who do similar work, we give them a reason to collaborate, to mentor, to discuss and learn from each other. Right. And so I think that's going to be a very effective solution for them. Mm-hmm. Um, because we, we're taking the, the less natural association and formalizing it in a way that will support the team members over the longer term. Right, yeah. So it's like taking a look at what they're doing now and how to better formulate a better structure for them to work to move forward. Yeah, um, yeah. I also have a bit of a passion for non-traditional <laughs> organizational structures. So. Yeah. Uh, Holacracy is probably the most famous one, um, and I used to say non-hierarchical yeah. structures, but holacracy is very much a hierarchy. It's just a hierarchy that's comprised of circles that go out in sort of weird directions. So it's right. non-pyramidal yeah. hierarchies. Um, but there's a, there's a great framework called Collaborative Web. I've studied a little bit. That's all about binary agreements. Mm-hmm. And what I love about those approaches, there's very few companies that are ready to dive in right. to those structures. But the ones that have have learned some really incredible lessons that you can bring in to the more traditional frameworks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, for example, companies that use uh, collaborative web right. have had to. There are truly no managers, no no lead yeah. link, no. Yeah. Uh, and so what they've had to do is really stop and think what are the what are the expectations of a manager in a traditional organization? Mm-hmm. What do they do? Mm-hmm. Because that work still needs to be done. Right. And so you actually end up taking a lot of the invisible work and making it visible in that approach. And so then uh, when you're working with a more traditional organizational structure, you can look to those examples to see uh, how they've broken out the different components and it makes it easier to have that conversation and avoid piling up too much expectation on one particular role, mm-hmm. which is another way that you can structurally guarantee failure. Yeah. <laughs> so what are some um, organizations you've seen a structure that have failed? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> um, several so they they tend to fall into a couple different categories okay 
um, the, the most common structural failure I see is overloading the middle layers. Right. Right. It's, it's basically expecting that somebody in a middle management or even line management position will be able to do all of the things above and all of the things below in no more time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Than the other positions. Mm -hmm. And that just kind of collapses everything, right? Fall, you squish those people, they have high turnover, you end up wasting a lot of time, the money falls apart. Um, that's probably the most common failure mode I run into. Mm -hmm. um, the other uh, sort of biggest gotcha I, yeah. I tend to see <laughs> is uh, not realizing that structures that work for a certain size organization yeah no longer work when that size changes. And that's, you know, ideally in a growth mode, right? You have right. to grow your structures, but it also goes the other way. Mm -hmm. um, and so I often see organizations that downsize and very few teams downsize for fun. Right. right? There's right. usually a pain driving that. And then they're um, much less successful than they could be after the downsizing because they're still carrying all the overhead mm -hmm. of a larger team. Right. right. So they downsize their people without downsizing their processes. Right. Right. Yeah. You have to have a lot of considerations. I, I used to work with a nonprofit and it was a, the guy that was the in charge of all the staff, he decided he was going to structureize it flat. So um, all the people that would normally have, roles like an ed or you know like a traditional business model he just flattened it and it did not work because mm -hmm. because you have still have to have somebody in overall mode of every day-to-day -day operations um well and in know, a non-profit yeah yeah go ahead yeah and in a non-profit regulatorily you actually have to have i mean you there are yeah to be a 501c3 there are specific requirements of an executive director right right yeah have to be met but even setting that aside right I, I am actually a firm believer that you can separate roles and uh positions mm -hmm. if that makes sense right that yeah. you can have someone who is responsible for taking active responsibility for a particular domain or scope or yeah. Uh, area without tying that to a job title or position mm -hmm. but but those roles are non-optional right yeah. the work has to be done accountability right. has to lie somewhere right and i think when yeah when you see i think some people misinterpret the success of some organizations without those traditional pyramids thinking oh they just made it work no there's actually much more structure when you go down one of those routes what ends yep. up happening is your leaders are uh, focused on purely on the processes and structures which right. is really why it appeals to me yeah um and then the team members are basically free to work within that framework mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah i don't know i just been from that experience of being a flat organization i just like well there's probably a good place for it, but not in particularly in that organization. So um, when, like you say, no, nonprofits have their certain roles or pyramid or whatever you want to call it, but 
it doesn't have you can still change that but like you were saying is that you have a different title but maybe some different roles within that title but yeah. you know it's interesting it's interesting well yeah. when you describe flat like that you know i, I i'm going to come back to the, the yeah. notion of a, a structure and a mental structure right um and the way that you're supporting colleagues um and now i'm going to draw <laughs> analogy with a, a menu yeah so a little bit different but yeah um so one error that i often see is these days leaders are um often terrified of micromanaging mm -hmm. as they should be right micromanaging right. is not fun for anybody right however i they'll often go to the opposite extreme mm -hmm. and so the the menu of an equivalent is that if i walk into a, a restaurant and in a normal restaurant i'm not expecting a fixed price menu or yeah, anything like that. And I sit down and there's one thing on the menu. I'm gonna be a little cranky. That's mm -hmm. like micromanaging. Right. On the other hand, if I walk in and they say, there is no menu, what I need from you is to decide of all the things in the world, what you want to eat, assuming that we have the ingredients and the chef knows how to make it, but we're not actually going to tell you what's in the kitchen. <laughs> And that's what I see a lot of leaders doing at the opposite extreme. And that's what that flat organization feels like to me. It's a total lack of structure and support. And that doesn't really help people either. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So what do you think are some of the, the best structures? I know you already said every organization is going to have their own, but what is the most popular structure that people tend to adapt to? Um, the most popular structure is a, a traditional uh, pyramidal hierarchy yeah. where you've got one person at the top and then teams down below. Um, and so I'm, I would say that the key to making those popular structures effective, mm -hmm. um, I, there's, there's a couple main keys. One, making sure that you have really thought through the expectations at each level mm -hmm. and how much you're asking of those individuals. So I'll come back to that example of the frontline manager who's being right. asked to be a player coach versus just a coach and how many people you're asking them to provide that support for. Right. Like doing that kind of analysis at each level. Mm -hmm. Second, I gave the example of the um, outsourced professional services firm and how they had that kind of matrix component. Yeah. Well, the secret is every company is going to have at least two components mm -hmm. because at a minimum you ha will have people who do different things mm -hmm. and you will have one goal you are trying to achieve right whether that's client support or products and so you have to ensure that your however you group your teams you build in structural supports for the other element right and, or however many other elements there are but there's always at least two yeah 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 so what would be some things that you would really like people to know about you or the services that you provide um, or why is structure even considered? Ooh, that's a, that's a really good question. So uh, I would say that some of my favorite situations are when you have leaders with, with smaller companies that are growing and they suddenly hit a point where they realize if they hire one more person, they feel like they have a house of cards that's going to fall apart. Mm -hmm. And it's because they've basically been holding the operation together with their individual charisma, right. their knowledge, their personal and structure is what allows the individuals in the organization to thrive mm 
Mm -hmm. without that leader having to be by their side every moment. Right. And so I guess the, the main thing I would say is when leaders are ready to work on the business, not in the business, right? <laughs> to use the most yeah. overly used phrase. Yeah. But that, that that's what structure is is there for. It's to allow the team to achieve the leader's vision and goals right. without needing that leader by their side every moment. Right. Then that we call micromanagement, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I think, you know, as a small business owner, when we start hiring people, sometimes it's just hard to figure out, okay, I need help, but I don't know where I need help at. And so um, you hire somebody and you get them to do all this. And then before you know it, it's like, oh my gosh, yes, I, I don't need just people doing that. I need them to do this. And so it's just learning, you know, like what, kind of structure they want and then yeah. of course you know not like you say hand holding too close you know yeah well that, that is based on their intellect right absolutely well but that that raises a very important point which is that bringing someone like me in to support an organization uh, does not in any way mean that those leaders are incapable of creating that kind of structure themselves. Right. What it is, is a reflection of the fact that those leaders are really busy. Yeah. Right. Oftentimes it's a chicken and egg situation. They need the distance that a structure would offer them to mm -hmm. be able to create the structure. Right. To get the space. Bringing someone like me in gives them that freedom to take on that. Right. I love to work myself out of a job. Yeah. And put something in place that the leaders can take over and run with and iterate into the future. Right. Um, for one and for two, also, if you bring someone like me and any external consultant, we have one job. Yeah. Right. We're not going to be distracted by the fires of the day. And so I always like to say I, as a leader, could have used me as a consultant. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. And so what, what, what would you have hired them or for them to do for you? Uh, similar work. Um, yeah. I, you know, I, I would do retreats with my team every year where we would look at our structure and how our sub teams were divided, what the roles, responsibilities were. Um, and we were able to make it work, but it was mm -hmm. very difficult. Right. Right. Um, and it was a lot of my time as a leader <laughs> to make sure that we were on that path. And so, you know, I could have I could have taken on more uh, in other strategic areas if I had been able to hand some of that facilitation and guidance off. Right, right. And I think the key thing is too, is not only the structure that you create in your workplace, your organization, it's also have you considered what kind of support each person is gonna need, right? Exactly, exactly, right? Because in, in coming back to the, the heart, yeah piece, right? I, I often say I, I don't do hearts and minds, but I'm motivated by the hearts and minds, right? Right. I, I believe that it is incredibly difficult for people to change mm -hmm. and it is often worthwhile and we should be doing it. And I'm so glad there are coaches who lead us on those journeys, right? But why should we make it any harder than it needs to be? If we can take some of that pain away with the structure, then let me help. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, the structure probably works really well. This is like building a house. You need a blueprint, right? That's your structure. 
and then you start putting people in there and then uh or the builders in there wherever you want to call them but eventually some of those builders the employees need to say hey i need help or uh, i need support around this area that i'm fighting with you know so then that's when whether it's the leader of the company or send somebody down or he comes down he or she comes down and says hey how can we support you what kind of support do you need so they're still working within the structure but they need that additional support right right but there's no way they would have the bandwidth to provide that support if there wasn't a blueprint for everyone to reference. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Like, it's just like saying, I'm gonna start a business today and I don't have a game plan of what it's gonna look like. I don't have a map. So if you don't have a map and you don't have some sort of structure, how are you gonna do things? That's where people start to fail. And because they say, well, I'm doing it all by myself. And I say, yeah, but who's the person that's, stopping the growth right yep yeah, yeah so exactly so what other favorite things do you like to do what services like what you know i know you provide structure help companies organize in that way so how else um can you support you, the people that you work with yeah the other main area that i do a lot of work in is process optimization mm -hmm. um and it ends up often being tightly intercoupled um but just documenting processes in a way that makes them visually appealing and accessible to anyone who needs to then follow that process. Mm -hmm. um, that, that is some of the work I do and then making uh, using those documents, those process maps and details to find opportunities for improvement. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it, it all ties back to structures and optimization but from many different perspectives yeah i would think the documentation would be to um have a plan to follow that structure right because the structure is like i guess a skeleton if you will of a human being right and, and within that structure you have all these little things and so the document processes as you call it would help document each step each of that structure that bone structure yeah, I think you could yeah. imagine a, an org structure as a skeleton um, yeah. and then potentially uh, you could envision the uh, various processes as the, the muscles and tendons yeah. that enable that structure to move. Yeah, move and be strong and and move forward. Yeah, cool. Cool. So is there any final words that you'd like to say, uh, Belle? Um, is there a couple of tips that you want to share with people that you can or you can share with people of how they can get started developing a better structure? Yeah, I, I think tips wise, the, the main thing I would say is to, to make sure that you are taking a step back and looking at your processes and structures on a fairly regular basis, at mm -hmm. least once a year, depending how quickly you're growing, maybe once a quarter. Yeah. Um, and just that simple act of taking a step back and asking, does this work for me? Yeah. Will often provide all the, the strength and support many leaders need. Right. Um, right. The second is to remember that bringing in support in no way means you are incapable. <laughs> it is a recognition of your priorities. Right. What is top of your list? You do. Yeah. What is not top of your list? You outsource. Yeah, I think that's a, a very effective way to to run a business and grow. Right, right. 
And so uh, what are your favorite clients then? Who do you like to work with the best? Uh, I, I really like working with anyone who is excited about bringing some order to their chaos. Okay. You can love the chaos, but you got to be ready for a little bit of order. Right. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much, uh, Belle, for joining me on the call today. And so appreciate your energy and the way that you're able to explain to us how why structure is so important Thank to uh, organizations. Yeah. Yeah. So we can hopefully make lives a little bit better. Yeah. <laughs> well, we can certainly use a lot of good structure elsewhere too, but we'll just leave it at our workplaces. <laughs> <Perfect>. <laughs> So thank you for joining us. And um, as always, be kind to each other because that's all we have. And um, yeah, be supportive. Be supportive to your structure. Okay. Thank you very much for joining us, Belle, today. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.